The point of the following Mishnah is to teach us that if somebody carries something out in their Rishos HaRabim, or from one domain into another, in a way which is an unusual way to carry something, in such a case he will be exempt, since the Malacha of Hitzah implies a regular way of carrying something. If you do it in an unusual way, you will be exempt. So the Mishnah says, one who carries something out with his right hand or his left hand, by his chest, let's say he carries it under his garment by where his chest is, or even if he carries it on his shoulders, in these four scenarios he would be obligated, because these are all considered to be regular ways of carrying. Now the Mishnah explains the last one, how do we know that carrying on your shoulder is considered a regular way for carrying? Because that is how the members of the family of Kahos carried things in the Midbar. Their job was to carry the Oroin and the Mishkan and the other big Kalim of the Beis Hamikdash. And the Torah explicitly says, They will carry it on their shoulders. So you see that that is considered a regular way of carrying. However, says the Mishnah, if it was if it was carried in an indirect way, for example, Baragloi on his foot, Bafiv, in his mouth, and we're discussing a case where it's not food. If he was carrying food, then it is considered regular to carry it in his mouth. With a marpka, if he carries it on the inside of his elbow, but oznai on his ear, but sa'orai in his hair, with a pundosai, ufiolamata, in his money belt, which he wore around his waist, and it had a place in there to keep his money. If the opening of the hole to place money in there was facing downwards, then it's very easy for things to fall out of there, so it was not common for people to carry things in the money belt whilst the opening was facing downwards. If he hanged something between the money belt and his cloak, his shirt, or if he carries something in the edges of his shirt, or of his cloak, the hem, if he carries it in his shoe, in his sandal, which usually refers to a stronger type of shoe, in all these cases, says the Mishnah Potter, he is exempt, since he did not carry something in the general way that people carry things. And this is really a principle with all of the Malachas of Shabbos, that one is only chayev if he does it in the regular way of doing it. Mishnah Dalit, there is an important principle which needs to be taken into account in pretty much every Malacha of Shabbos, and that is the principle known as Meleches Machsheves. This principle is learnt from the Mishkan, which is really the source for all of the 39 Malachas of Shabbos, and the basic meaning of this concept is that one is only liable for doing a Malacha on Shabbos if it is a constructive Malacha which he planned to do, which means that if he tried to do something in a particular way, and it ended up happening in a different way, which he is not happy with and does not fulfil his plan, or his intention, then he will not be chayev. And the Mishnah gives an example and explains it in the context of the Malacha of Haitza'a of carrying from one domain into another, or in a Rosh Hashanah. One who intends to carry something out in front of him, but he ended up carrying it behind him. For example, let's say he had a bag around his neck, and it was in front of him, and let's say he rushed outside, and in doing so, the bag swung backwards, and he ended up taking it whilst it was behind him and he couldn't really see it. Says the Mishnah Potter, he is exempt, since he intended to carry it in front of him, where he could see the item, take care of it, make sure it's there still, but he ended up taking it and carrying it when he couldn't really see it. So his intention and plan was not fulfilled, and this is therefore not considered a Meleches Marsheves, and one is only chayel for a malacha if it is a malachas marsheves. On the other hand, says the Mishnah, if he intended to carry it 
behind him. So he didn't really mind that he couldn't, that he wasn't watching over it. So then Volodofonov, if it swung in front of him, and he ended up actually carrying it in front of him, Chayev, he is liable for breaking Shabbos, since this is an even better way for him of carrying it. So his plan was fulfilled, plus more. Now the Mishnah adds, but MS Omru, in truth they said, we had this phrase back in the first parak of the Masechda, and whenever the Mishnah says Be'emes Omru, it refers to a clear halacha, often to a halacha l'mesh Sinai, but it always refers to a clear halacha, which has been passed down from one generation to another, and pretty much everyone agrees with this, so the Mishnah says Ha'isha ha'chigeres basinar, a woman who is wearing an apron, and the aprons they had weren't tied to the woman so well, so it would often swing from side to side and even backwards, so, whether the apron ends up being in front of her or behind her, if, let's say, she placed an item inside the apron, let's say there was a pocket in the apron, and she put something in the pocket, whether the apron ends up being behind her or in front of her, she is liable, because it is fitting and common for it to go back and forth, and therefore, really, her intention is to take it out wherever the apron is, she knows that the object might end up flying behind her, but that was still her intention since this is such a common thing. It is still considered a Malechus Machsheves, even if it swings back or forward. Rabbi Huda adds furthermore, Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Huda says, Afamakabale Piskin, even messengers who accept notes, and we're referring to important officials, whose job it was to transfer a message or a note from one person to another, and they would often do this in a rush, and they would put whatever they had to carry inside a sort of tube, which they would then tie around their neck. And it was very loose, so it would constantly be swinging. And although in general it would stay in front of them, it would happen on occasion that it would swing backwards. So Yehuda says the same applies in this case. Their intention must have been from the beginning that the tube will um, go backwards. And therefore, even if it does swing backwards, it's still considered a Malachas And some explain that the Tanakama argues with Yehuda, because according to the Tanakama, since it does not swing backwards so often, this is not necessarily included in the intention and the plan of the official, and therefore it would not be considered a Malechus Machsheves if he ends up carrying it when it is behind him. Mishnah Hay, we already learned at the beginning of the Masechta that if somebody does half the Malacha, for example when carrying from one domain into another, if he lifts it up and changes its domain, but then somebody else takes it from him and puts it down, so he didn't do the entire Malacha, since he did not put it down in the new domain, and he is therefore not chayev, although it is forbidden Bonon to do even half a malacha, so it is not forbidden and therefore he is not chayev. So this mission is going to give another couple of applications of this halacha. who carries out a loaf of bread into a public domain, of course he is chayev. However, if two people together carried out one loaf into a then Peturin they are exempt, and this is learnt from the Posuk which says, If one singular person sins, if he breaks Shabbos, and then it goes on to say what he is Chayev. But we see from here that only if one person does the entire Melacha himself, and not two people, only then would he be Chayev. However, says the Mishnah, If one person alone was not able to take this out, let's say it was extremely heavy, and two people took it out, in that case, they are both obligated, because they both did their entire part, which was necessary for the Melacha to be done. It wasn't as if they shared one Melacha. Since two people are needed to do this Melacha, 
each person did everything they needed to do. They did sort of their entire part of the malacha, and the only way the malacha could have been done was by two people, and therefore Chayavim, they are obligated. However, Rabbi Shimon put there, Rabbi Shimon exempts them even in this scenario, because at the end of the day, one cannot be Chayavim for a malacha unless he does the entire thing himself. And the Malachalikas between Tanakama and Rabbi Shimon is really based on Pesukim and how they interpret the Pesukim. Continues the mission with another important rule when it comes to the Malacha of Heitzah. If somebody carries out food, but less than the minimum amount to be chayv for carrying, namely a dried, the size of a dried fig, so he carries food which is less than the size of a dried fig in a utensil. So of course, for the food, he is exempt, but the Mishnah says, Potter Afalakli, he is even exempt for having carried out the utensil, although the utensil is considered significant. The reason being that since the entire purpose of carrying the utensil was for the sake of the food, it's considered secondary to the food. So if the food is not considered significant and he's not chayev for that, then all the more so he is not going to be chayev for the secondary utensil carrying that. Shaklit filaloi, because the, the, the utensil is secondary to the food. On a similar note, as a chayba if somebody carries an alive person on a bed, there is a rule which dictates that hachai noises atzmai. Somebody who is alive carries himself. Meaning, even if you carry somebody, you are not going to be chayv because really he can carry himself. He has life inside of him. He's not something which you carry, really. He himself supports himself, and therefore you'll be exempt for carrying him. And by extension, potter afalamita, you'll be exempt for carrying the bed as well. Shamitot alo because the bed is secondary to the person, and therefore you cannot be more obligated for the bed than the person. However, says the Mishnah, if you carry a dead person in the bed, then of course, Chayev, you will be obligated for having carried the dead person. Because of course, a dead person does not support himself or carry himself. Now, the fact that you carried him in a bed doesn't increase the prohibition. That's not a second Avera, because as we explained, the bed is just secondary to the dead person, and that is how you are carrying the dead person. And ends off the mission of a Kazais The same applies if somebody carries out the size of an olive of a dead person, so he carries out part of a dead person, or the size of an olive of an animal which died without having been slaughtered. Or the size of a lentil of a dead sheretz, which refers to a number of different small animals which transmit tumor when they die, a severe level of tumor, and these amounts are the minimum for one to be chayev for carrying out those things on Shabbos. Says Mishnah Chayev, he is liable, and the reason for these amounts is because that is the minimum amount which can become tome. The minimum amount of a dead body which can become tome is the size of an olive. And the same goes for a dead animal, a regular animal. But when it comes to a sheretz, the minimum is a size of a lentil, smaller than the size of an olive, and so that is considered a significant part of that animal, such that if you would carry that amount into a Rishasarabim on Shabbos, or from a Rishasarabim into a Rishasayachid, then you would be chayev. Now, interestingly, in these last cases of the dead bodies and the dead animals, Rabbi Shimon Poiter, Rabbi Shimon says that this person will be exempt and the reason for this is because this is a case of a malachah in a tzricha legufa. And we've seen this principle once before, and it refers to a malachah which was done, but not for the constructive purpose or outcome which it's for. Meaning, in this case, why is he removing the dead body or the dead animals? Not because he wants those things in the Rosh Hashanah. That will be a positive outcome which he wants. He, I want these things, so I'm going to carry them into where I want them. Over here, what's he doing? He's removing them from somewhere. 
He doesn't want those things in his house, so he is getting rid of them into the Rosh Sarabim. Personally, he would have preferred not to have them there at all in the first place. So since the reason why he's doing the Malacha is not for the positive outcome of having those in the Rosh Sarabim, rather it is in order to get rid of them from where they are now, that is considered a Malacha She'ina Tzrich Lagufa. And whereas according to the Tanakama, one is Chayev for Malacha She'ina Tzrich Lagufa. According to Rabbi Shimon, it is only forbidden Medirah Bonon, and therefore one is not Chayev for doing a Malacha She'ina Tzrich Lagufa. Mishnevot, last mission of the Perek, and although this seems to be quite randomly placed here, it's going to discuss a few different Malachas, all in one Mishnah, and none of them have anything to do with Haitzah. Nevertheless, it is placed here because it is relevant to the discussion of Malach Sheinat Now, before seeing the Mishnah inside, it's important to remember two important concepts. One is an Av Malacha, and the other is a Toldah. There are 39 Aves Malachas, which are the main categories of Malacha, those which were done in the Mishkan. And Toldos are the subcategories, the secondary Malachas, things which resemble those things which were done in the Mishkan. So the Mishnah begins, Hanotel Tzipurin of Zobazoi, one who takes off his fingernails, meaning he cuts his fingernails by using a different fingernail. So let's say he's got a sharp fingernail, he can use that to cut other fingernails. Ibishinov, or if he uses his teeth to cut his fingernails. Machin Sa'ora is similarly one who cuts part of his hair using his fingers. So he plucks some hair out, Machin Sfomai, or if he removes some of the hair from his moustache with his fingers. Machin Zekonai, or from his beard. Cutting any of these four things is considered a tolder of the malacha of geizes, of shearing a sheep. Just like there, you're cutting the hair, you're cutting something which grows from the animal. So too, any of this cutting will also be forbidden mid oraisa as a tolder of geizes, at least according to one opinion, as we are going to see. The chenagideles, similarly one who braids a person's hair, it was done in a very neat manner, it's considered a tolder of building, you're constructing a certain pattern. The chenagideles, one who colours their eyelids, that is a tolder of the malacha of writing. This is also a way to arrange one's hair such that there will be gaps in between lots of the hairs, where you could see the actual scalp of the person. And that, once again, because it's such a neat formation and a pattern, it is considered a tolder of the malacha of building. So in all of these cases, Rabbi Yezer says that the person is obligated. All of these things are tolders of certain malachas, and therefore you are chayev. However, vachachomim... The Chachom hold that all of these things are forbidden midrabonon. The term shavus refers to something which is forbidden midrabonon on Shabbos. However, they are not forbidden midaraisa. And the reason for this is because to be considered a toldah, an activity has to be done in a similar way to how the Avmalacha was done. In all these cases where he used his own hands to do it, and no tool was used that is not considered similar to the Av, and therefore it's not considered a toldah, rather it is only forbidden midrabanan, because it is a bit similar to the Malacha. Now what is the relevance of Malachin and Tzrich Lagufa over here? The answer is that if the reason why he was, let's say, cutting his nails was because he didn't want to have long nails, or if he took out some hair from his moustache because the hair was annoying him, that means that he's not doing it because he wants the nail, or because he wants that hair, he's doing it to get rid of it. And that is considered a malach in a gufa. And so the only case where you would be chai of hair, if you hold the malach in a gufa, you're exempt, is if the reason why you were cutting the nails or the hair was because you actually wanted the nails, you had a purpose for those things, and you weren't just doing it to get rid of it. 
Now the peric ends off by discussing an otzitz nokov, which is a plant pot which has a hole at the bottom, and there's machlekes which runs through many mishnais throughout Shas about what the status of an otzitz nokov is. According to one opinion, since the plant does draw nourishment from the ground as a result of the hole, we view it as if it was actually planted in the ground itself, and therefore all laws which apply to the ground and things which go from ground apply to this plant pot as well. So for example, one who uproots a plant from a plant pot with a hole in it, he is liable just like one is liable for uprooting a plant from the ground itself. But if it does not have a hole in it, then potter, he is exempt, although it is still forbidden. Now Rabbi Shimon argues with all of this, Rabbi Shimon Shimon exempts the person in either case, because according to Rabbi Shimon, the plant pot with a hole in it, something which grows in there is not considered like it's growing in the ground. It's considered like a regular plant pot, and therefore one would not be chayev for uprooting something from there.